You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. God, we pray today. We pray that your word come not just in word alone, but as Paul prayed, in power, with full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer through Jesus, who lives and reigns with the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. You can find your seats. Well, welcome to First. It is so good to see your bright, shining faces. And to see those of you online. We have technology at First where I can see your faces online. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That, that would be a little too freaky, right? Oh, if only. I don't know if we'd want to be able to see each other in those ways across time and space or see what's going on with one another. I can't, I can't know all that's going on with you, but I can imagine that there are some things that you're probably struggling with. I mean, we're normal humans. We've got struggles. Perhaps you're struggling with your spouse right now or with a kid, having difficulties at job going through some kind of transition that's hard. And in those times, we tend to to look for answers. We need help to our struggles and our trials. So maybe we go to a book. We find some kind of a a self-help book that will guide us. Or maybe we turn to something that will stimulate us or inebriate us or give us a hallucination, some kind of medicine to take us away from the difficulties that we face. Well, today... Even though I don't know what you're struggling with, I want to provide real help for you. Power that you can rely upon, ways to get through your life. And I'm going to do it through a passage that's pretty, pretty familiar, pretty classic passage. And I'm going to invite you to stand back up. Got to keep that blood pumping. I freaked you out by saying I could see you and now having you stand up back again. This is from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take out the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand, therefore, fasten the belt of truth around your waist, and put the breastplate of righteousness as shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, you get a passage like this, and it's uh, so vivid, it's memorable, sticks in your mind. And it's one that I come to, and I personally wonder, what am I supposed to do with this? All these descriptions of armor are kind of overwhelming for me. 
You know, I, I start to feel like King David when he was not King David, but little shepherd boy David. Do you remember this story? Called to fight Goliath. And so Saul is giving him armor. You know, it's oversized. He's got a sword that he can't wield. He's got a shield that's too heavy for him. And he finally just says, no, I'm just going to go with, with these stones. I kind of feel that way about this passage. I don't know what to do with Roman armor. This doesn't connect with where we are today. I mean, am I supposed to put on this helmet that smashes down my nose? Am I supposed to put on sandals that I know have terrible arch support? I I need good arch support. Or, Or am I supposed to just be okay with a sword that I can't lift up and a belt that I don't really understand what is holding up? When preachers and teachers come to this passage, a lot of times, and this is appropriate, I think, but they come to this passage and they take, you know, the battle armor and the spiritual word that's attached to it, and they try to identify each thing and then tell you how you might could use it. So they take this image that's far removed from us and try to translate it. Well, today, I'm not going to dress up in Roman battle gear for you. I'm not going to try to take this image and metaphor and turn it into a a PowerPoint chart so that you can make use of it today. I want to go to what we sometimes miss that's obvious that's there. Some of the real strength of this passage that's, that's overlooked. And I want to do it by looking at how this military image is odd. It's odd. It's strange. It's unusual to use a military image. I tend to stay away from military image, but Paul, he ventures into it, and he does so very carefully. When you talk about military, there's some basics, things that you need to know. You need to know who your leader is, who you're answering to. You need to know who your enemy is. Once you know your enemy and your leader, you need to know kind of what resources that you have available to you. And then you need some kind of a plan, a plan of attack a way to deal with things. And in these basics, uh, usually for me, I first want to know who the enemy is. In today's military, it's sometimes hard to know who the enemy is or where they're coming from you because you're not lined up on a flat battlefield, one army in one color, the other army in the other color, clearly marked. You sometimes don't know who the enemy is. The first thing I want to know is, Who's the enemy? What's the problem? We've got to define that. And so that, of three things that we're going to look at closely, I'm going to start with the enemy. Now, the enemy is not where Paul starts. More on that in a minute. But I'm going to start with where we tend to ask the questions. What is the enemy? Whenever Paul unpacks this little passage, what makes it odd to me are the three things that I've pulled out from what he said. He says that your enemy is invisible. Are you kidding me? I mean, you start to feel like, are you Harry Potter in book one where you don't really know how to use your powers and your enemy is invisible? Or or do you find yourself more like Braveheart? Like, okay, I got an enemy. I'm ready to charge. I'm there. I'm ready. The enemy is invisible. And then the resources are these borrowed Roman military gear, so what are we supposed to do with that? And then the plan is to stand. Seriously. A military plan where it's to stand. I mean, don't we need to march? Don't we need to go somewhere? Don't we need to take some offensive victories and positions? I mean, that 
that's not a three-part military basic that makes sense to me. I don't know about to you. It just seems a little bit odd. I mean, even if you look at Christians today, often coming to this passage, Christians seem to be in attack mode, constantly defending their position, knocking people off of their position, moving forward to take offensive victories. In fact, one of the places that I looked in the last couple of weeks about this passage says this, this is about us waging our spiritual warfare. And I'm going to tell you why I think that's a bad way to look at this passage later. Us waging our spiritual warfare. But first, the enemy. The enemy, he says, is invisible, and he attributes this enemy to being the devil. And some people say, ah, devil, I don't believe in the devil, smithic creature. Well, it's a description. The adversary, the opponent, the one who is the deceiver and slanderer. He points us to think about the enemy in these invisible terms. Now, the devil really doesn't have power. The really true fact about the devil is that there's no power other than to gain power over people who have no will. People who allow evil to overpower them. The devil doesn't have power unless he's able to use folks for his purposes. And here in this passage, we might think about this in terms of the devil or of evil or even like this. Anything and everything that opposes God, that will deny God, that, that wants nothing to do with an authority. And I find it interesting that Paul draws us to think about this enemy in terms not of flesh and not of blood. I forget this. When I'm going through my life, I don't think about this being a spiritual battle. I think about me squaring off with a telemarketer. What? Oh, it's a robot again. Mm. The enemy gets manifested physically to me in the driving of someone who's trying to run me off the road. I think about evil as manifest as that other person or this situation that I'm involved in. It's their fault. And so when we look at this, I, I tend to just get distracted. In the first century, they probably had all kinds of evil that they were facing off against. Cosmic powers, magic, cults. It's not much different today. We deal with magic, cults, tarot cards, palm readers, wanting to look into the future, wanting to see what's out there, chemicals, substances, all kinds of things. And we talk about spiritual powers that we can't see, you might even find yourself getting a little bit afraid. What do you mean we can't see this enemy? How, how are we supposed to deal with an enemy that we cannot even check? In our world, we tend to make that invisible enemy very visible in the person that we like, or that we don't like. We tend to make them the problem. Have you seen this? where we demonize and villainize other people who see the world differently than we do. They're the problem. In fact, we even monster-size the issues and the evil that we face. And we get worked up about things, whatever the current one is, whether it's abortion or political party. 
And we get all excited about all of these different powers that are out there and wring our hands. And we tend to turn and think of one another as the enemy. That could be a church. It could be a political party. It could even be non-believers. As God followers who are involved in this spiritual battle, we need to understand and, rep- and understand and remember that this allegiance, the only one that matters, is an allegiance to God. All the things that tend to try to be powers and authorities to lead us and to rule over us, that's not where our allegiance lies as Christians. We are those who are following God. We follow the God who created us. We're followers of the cross of Christ. We carry around our sufferings. We're followers of the resurrection power that shows up in the Holy Spirit. The surprise that most people don't recognize, especially when you talk about military imagery in Scripture, is that the war is over. Did you know that? It's over. Christ has already won. And that's kind of a surprising thing to realize that every evil force has been defeated and is under Jesus Christ. And a lot of times we're trying to win arguments with power and evil tends to threaten us, but Christ has already won. So, what we do with this is to realize that we are in something of a spiritual situation, a spiritual battle, and that things that we face in our life, whether it's difficulties with a family member or difficulties with a boss, these can be seen as spiritual issues. Any change that we face in our life, maybe trying to change church or change wives or change your hours at work, all of these decisions are actually spiritual decisions that must be brought under the authority of Jesus Christ. And if we just focus in on the other person or the other position or whoever it is and try to demonize and villainize them, that focus on the enemy will lead us nowhere. Well, that brings us to the second thing. I told you that Paul didn't start with the enemy, and I want to go where Paul starts. Look with me in chapter 6, verse 10, the very first verse that I read to you, and I want you to hear it clearly. I'm going to emphasize some words. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power. When we get to the second thing, we get to the resources that we have for these struggles and trials. And the resource is the very strength and power of God. God's power, God's authority. That is the resource that we're given. In in this one verse that I just read to you, Paul packs in three different words for power. All of them are owned by God. All of them originate from God. It's the Lord's strength that we depend upon, not ours. Now that can be really good news if you are feeling powerless in your life. If you're feeling like you have no power, that's great news. And it can be bad news if you feel pretty powerful, if you feel like you know the answer, if you feel like you know what needs to be done, that might dislodge you a little bit to realize that the strength and the power comes from God. Here in this passage, I think that what we need to remember is 
power isn't ours. I think Paul's been trying to tell us that all through the reading of this letter. In Ephesians 1, 19, and 20, 19 through 21, the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is where? It's in us. It's at work within us. Or chapter 3, 20 and 21. God is able to accomplish far more than all we ask or imagine. Is that through our power? No, it's not through our power. It's through the power of God. Sometimes I think we trust our own power a little bit too much. That's why we get frustrated. We're trying too hard because we're not leaning in to the authority and the power of God. Let me, let me say this again. Whose armor is this? It's God's armor. It's the armor of God. We didn't create it. We, we don't own it. It's God's armor. Many years ago, I read a, a tiny little book called Sit, Walk, Stand by a guy named Watchman Nee. And it's a collection of a few of his sermons about Ephesians. And I, I like his structure. I, I didn't really use his structure for this sermon series, but I, I think it's appropriate to bring up the title of his book because I think it helps us with where we are today. Sit, Walk, and Stand. He outlines the whole book of Ephesians by saying, we are to understand where we are in Christ, where we are in the world, and where we are in relation to evil powers. And he says, first and foremost, we have to remember that we're seated with Christ. Sit. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. You are seated at the right hand of God. If you want to know where you're located, if you want to know where you're positioned, you are seated right beside Christ. All through chapter 1, over and over again, you could circle it if you wanted to. Paul says, in Christ, in Christ, you are in Christ. That's where we're seated. Well, the second one, the walk, comes in chapter 4, verse 1, as the book takes a turn. We are able to walk in this world and through this life with confidence. We can face anything in this world because we are with Christ. And then finally, stand. Verse 11 of chapter 6. What's our relation to evil in this world? We are to stand. Now that is the craziest thing to me of all. This brings us to our third thing for us to look at closely. Whenever we look at military imagery, I think this one surprises me almost more than any other. Because I'm expecting troops to get in line and to march. To maybe even march like the tortoise shell of the Roman army with, sh with uh, uh, shields above them and shields beside them, moving and advancing. That's what I expect. And what Paul says over and over again in verse 11 and twice in verse 13 and then in verse 14 is stand. Our role in this military battle is to stand, to resist the evil that will disrupt our lives. Our military position is defensive. Now this is very important because a lot of times we tend to use these images as Christians in this attack mode type approach. Yet with the kingdom of God, it's God's kingdom, it's not ours. 
And sometimes you probably are like me. Occasionally you might pray for God to expand the kingdom. Have you ever prayed this? Or to extend the borders of the kingdom? Or grow the kingdom? Have you said these things? That's not the way Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Did you know that? It might be an interesting thing for you to read through the Gospels of how Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God. And He says, receive the kingdom of God. Enter the kingdom of God. Go into, walk in the kingdom of God. Or Paul's favorite, inherit it. This is a gift. It is something that we receive. And that's very important for us to realize because we can't make God's kingdom any bigger than it already is. But we can come inside of it. The God who gave us free will to choose is one that invites us into what He is doing in the world. So all is already a God's. Already, this whole world, this whole kingdom is God's. And that means that as Christians, we're giving witness to what God has done. We're able to not feel like we have to fight for victories. No, that's not the way it works. God hasn't invited us to fight for those victories. We're able to fight from victory, which is what standing is. You stand on the victory that Jesus has already accomplished. If you have to think in sports terms, think that Christ is the one playing offense. And we are playing defense, not against Christ, but against those that powers that are invisible, that want to threaten the truth, the salvation that's given to us in Christ, the righteousness that's given to us in Christ, or the final most odd military image of all, the message that we're supposed to be proclaiming when we're standing there on the victory that Christ has already accomplished. Did you see what it is? The gospel of peace. That doesn't sound like a military victory. I mean, it, we will talk about military as we're going to go conquer everyone so that we can then have peace. But as followers of God, we're pronouncing that proclamation of peace. And if you've watched closely in Ephesians, this is not new at all. Because Paul has pronounced over and over again that Christ is our peace. He is the one that gives us peace. That Christ is the one who has broken down the dividing wall between the religious and the irreligious. Think about that for a moment. The Jews and the Gentiles, those who are religious and those who are not, God brings down in Christ that dividing wall between them so that we can stand together. This peace is proclaimed to those that are near to God. That makes sense to me. But it's also proclaimed to those who are far away from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. Peace is how we maintain unity with one another. Chapter 4, verse 2. And even as the letter closes in chapter 6, verse 23, peace is what we're praying for the whole community. This is God's kingdom. And the stance that He invites us into is one of standing on the victory that He has already accomplished. And so if I bring this all together, I want you to pay a close attention to the order that Paul approaches this as. He reminds us that the strength and the power is God's. Find yourself trying too hard, trying to use your own power too hard. 
Trust in the power and authority of God. And then the second thing he gives us is not just that, that resources, but this battle plan of standing, of standing on the victory that God has already accomplished. And then finally, he talks about the enemy, the invisible enemy, to realize that our defensive stance against the evil that tries to get into our life is to push it away. You know, in this series, I, I, it's been helpful for me to look closely again at, at what God's doing in this world. This process that God wants you to be involved in of becoming like Christ, of becoming like God, as intimidating that it, as that is, that's what we've been exploring, how we might become like God and approach this world the way that God approached this world, with the cross, being willing to die. That's helping us in how we walk and how we live and how we grow and helping us to remember that we're subjects in this kingdom. We're not ruling over this kingdom. It's God's kingdom. So if you come to a passage like this and you just get creeped out by all the invisible powers and wonder, ooh, what's going to get me? Let me give you confidence and boldness. When you attach yourself to Christ, you are attaching yourself to the greatest power in the universe. There's no safer place for you to be. You can sit with Christ. You can walk with Christ. You can stand with Christ against anything that comes your way. Let's pray. God, we bring you our struggles, our trials. They're all many and diverse. They're probably more similar than we realize as we wrestle with them in our silence. And God, we ask that you'll help us to rely upon your power and your strength to give us what we need. Would you help us to stand firm against the evil that tries to crouch in on our lives? And to see our world not so much for the way it presents itself, people and situations, but as opportunities, opportunities to live in the kingdom of God, your great and gracious kingdom. God, please be with us in our struggles. We ask this through the powerful name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.